All right, John's Gospel, chapter 15. Let's begin in verse 16. Actually, that's, that's our verse. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Let's pray together. Lord, we love your word. We love everything about what you've intended it to be in our lives. We pray, Lord, you'd help us to be students of your word today and be uh, in a position or our heart, our heart posture to be open to you, for you to speak to us and to redirect us and, and convict us or exhort us or encourage us or comfort us. All the things uh, that you can do by your Holy Spirit, we ask that he would be our teacher and that he would do those things, even things that I didn't mention, Lord, and we just want to be obedient to you. And we want to be disciples of yours. So we commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We um, are going to take a little 12 or 13 week detour into uh, Calvary Chapel distinctives related to what we believe and why and our philosophy of ministry and all of that. It's really heavy on my heart and the leaders and so forth uh, to help people understand what we believe and why from Scripture, to understand why we do what we do here. Sometimes you may not understand the decisions that are made and why we do certain things. And all of that instruction on these things will help you understand. Uh, obviously, we understand as, as believers that we're part of a larger whole. You know, Scripture teaches that we're one body. And that's talking about the whole body of Christ. Outside these walls, we're one body of Christ. He emphasizes that we're one body. He still says we're individual members, but he says way more often that we're one body. He emphasizes that. In our culture, in our mindset, in our Western culture, we're kind of the other way around. We're so individualistic that we think we're primarily members who happen to be part of a larger whole. But you look at Scripture and how oftentimes it says one body, one body, one body, and, he ta- and, it, and it communicates Scriptures in the context of a larger whole all the time where the Scripture wouldn't really make that much sense if he was talking about us individually and not affecting or being a part of another uh, group or another, um, we call it our family, of the body of Christ. So we can, because when we look at what we believe and why and all of that, and, and, and also especially being thankful and expressing our thankfulness for where God's placed us in the body, um, we can think that, well, we're not for the rest of the body, or we think we're the only ones that have the truth, or all these things that are erroneous and are not, tr- and are not valid. They're not biblical. They're not, they don't contribute to us being in unity with the rest of the body. No, I don't know how many of you know this, but I oversee the Manteca Ministerial Association, and I'm working towards uniting the body in Manteca, in the greater Manteca area, you know, Lathrop included, and so forth. And um, I find it hard sometimes to be able to communicate the importance of being in unity with pastors, to say nothing of, you know, people in the church that aren't leaders, that are, that are, um, you know, they're, some of them get it like that. Some of them don't get it. 
Um, but the pastors, if we can't, and the leaders, if we can't be in unity with the rest of the body of Christ, how are we going to help other people know how to do that? And uh, it's definitely a challenge, and it takes grace, and it takes uh, overlooking things, because, and, I'm, and I don't mean just one directional, they're overlooking things and being gracious with me, I'm sure, with things. So we're totally for the whole body of Christ. I remember Pastor Chuck talking about, he read this from G. Campbell Morgan, one of his favorite commentators and one of my commentators that we read, that, and this is usually when he's teaching 1 Corinthians chapter 1, when he's talking about one saying, I am of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, and you know all this, and he, and he talks about that the more carnal a person is, the, the more denominational they, they are in the sense that, um, in other words, they, they, they need to see the whole body of Christ and, and appreciate the whole body of Christ. It doesn't mean you can't be thankful where you're at. It doesn't mean that you value the things that you value. All those things are equally true. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you uh, just completely throw out the whole body. So we're part of the whole body. And, but we have specific beliefs. We, we have specific philosophy of ministry that are unique to us in, in, in churches like us. And, and one of the main things, and we're going to go over a lot of things looking over this um, in the next few weeks, but um, one of the things is we believe, that we believe in the expositional teaching of the, of the Word, teaching the whole Bible, but at the same time we believe in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And usually uh, somewhere over here where it's, if there's teaching like that, there's not an acknowledgement and a belief and encouragement related to the spiritual gifts. Sometimes when you have people that are for those things and believe those things, then you don't have the expositional teaching of the word. That's one of the main, so we don't make any, either side really happy with us. Um, you know, the, some, our brothers and sisters in the Pentecostal part of the body of Christ, they believe that we're Baptists. <laughs> like Baptists, and then people that are Baptists or people that are really strong in the teaching and all of that, um, they think we're Pentecostal. <laughs> you know, and, and so we just want to be where God wants us to be, and we want to be thankful where we're at. So it's important for us to understand where we're at, what we believe, why we do what we do, and all these things are not just for an intellectual exercise of this is what my church believes, this is what I believe, but it actually has implications in our own personal lives. Because if we see things a certain way from Scripture and we're holding those Scriptures, then those Scriptures have an effect on our lives. They shape, they shape us into who we are. They have effect on our ministry and all these things. And so um, for us, we just there's so many different, I don't know if you say niches or niches. I don't know the right way to say it. It depends on who you hear. But there's so many different parts of the body of Christ at different emphases and all of that. Um, and one of the things that was pounded into me um, is that we're not, God hasn't left it up to us to experiment on the body of Christ, to try to figure out what we're about. The ministry is hard enough knowing what you're for, knowing what you believe and all of that. You don't need to be, I feel sorry for guys that are trying to figure all that out while they're doing it, it's almost unbearable to think about. You have to know what you believe and why and be solid in it and have, and those, that's the bedrock or the underpinnings of everything that you do and say. Everything, everything that we do and say and, and practice and we all aim to have those things flow from certain doctrines that we hold to. There's a reason why we do all these things and we're going to go over a lot of that so you can understand. But related to our own personal lives, these things 
um, are important. I mean, all the doctrines, even that we all agree with and all the body of Christ, those are important and have implications in our lives. But the uniqueness of where we're at has implications as well. So we're going to go through these and all of that. So we want to talk about today, calling is everything. I don't usually title messages. I'm not against it, but I just usually don't. But it would be, if I were to title this message, it would be calling is everything. And so first of all, we need to look at what is calling. So what is the word call, when you call somebody, you're initiating something. You're initiating something for someone to respond to. I mean, that's, if, you, if you get it down to its basics, it's to initiate communication. I remember when it was time for me to come in at night and it got dark. My mom would, she didn't whistle. Some parents, I remember neighbors had that special whistle and you knew like, ding, oh, I got to go. But my mom had, she just said my name a certain way, really loud, you know, and Patrick, you know, and I knew I could just hear the last part of that syllable and I would know exactly. I wouldn't even have to hear the whole word, just that her voice and that sound. And I was, I had to get home and I, I couldn't wait. I couldn't prolong it. It was time's up. Doesn't matter where I was in the, in the basketball game or the playing ditch or whatever would crack the whip or, you know, whatever we were doing. Um, you know what made me mad? And maybe I'm just recovering from all of this. Um, but you know, the guy that had the ball, right? And the parents, no, no appreciation for where we're at in this game. We can't keep going. You know, he's got to take his ball and go home. And it wasn't even his fault. Now, if it was his fault and he got mad at us and took his ball and went home, then the next day wouldn't have been good for him. He wouldn't have enjoyed the next day. But anyway, the call is, for our context, is the calling of God is fulfilling God's purpose for your life. And election uh, has to do with being saved as a Christian and you can't really separate them when you're looking at it from God's perspective. In our mind, it's chronological at times. We get saved. Then we realize what our calling is or we don't or we're working on it or we're praying about it or whatever. But in God's mind, he, he knows the beginning from the end. He's outside of time. And so, but we need to deal with um, election first. When Jesus here says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. We think of salvation and all these things, which is true. But it's, for them, they probably heard that the first time as thinking about the shores of Galilee or wherever they were when Jesus literally with his human voice called out to them, come and follow me. Because they didn't initiate that. They didn't say, hey, Look over here and say, come and follow me. They didn't do that. They were just like doing their thing. They weren't thinking about the Messiah. They weren't thinking about, you know, any of these things. And he said, come and, and follow me. So God initiated contact with them. And he also called them related to salvation. Again, it's not, you can't compartmentalize it. It's all one thing too. I mean, it's beyond, I mean, he knew before the foundation of the world, he was going to call those disciples to what he called them to do and all of that. So it's, but related to us, we didn't have Jesus's physical presence say to us, come and follow me. We didn't have that. There was a, there was a chain of events. There was a process where he drew us to himself you know, he convicted us of our sins. He compelled us to put our faith in him, in his death, his burial, his resurrection. And also he placed us as a result of that in his body. We didn't understand anything about that. I remember reading the Gospels for the first time. 
being just blown away. I didn't understand anything about the church, the body. I didn't understand any of those things. And just reading these things for the first time was just so amazing. I remember telling new believers all the time, I wish I could read the Gospels for the first time all over again. You know, you're of such a privilege right now to read this and, and all of that. So th- it wasn't our idea. We didn't come up with it. We didn't initiate it. I didn't ask him to do those things. I came into a church chasing a girl. <laughs> uh, wasn't Sandy either. Um, and because of that, I received Christ that day, was baptized with the Holy Spirit that day, didn't know what that was either. All those things happened at the same time at salvation for me. I wasn't looking for it and wasn't asking for it. I was on a Holy Ghost hit list that I found out later in the youth group. They had my name on that. Many of you have heard of that already. Uh, but we didn't initiate it. We didn't ask him to do that. He initiated it. We didn't elect ourselves. And Jesus said in our verse, notice he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Again, he initiated, he chose us. We did not choose him, we received him. And there's a difference, and I think I want to make this distinction right here, the difference between choosing and being responsible to receive. You know, in, in John chapter 1, verse 12, we're told that to those who received him, he gave them the right to become children of God. And he holds us accountable for that choice in the sense, not the choice per se, but the decision, and it's all semantics in one sense, but to, to receive. We had, we, had, we had, he didn't force himself on us. We don't believe that. He had, we received him. He compelled us, but we didn't choose him technically. We received him. And so because of that, he gave us the right to become children of God. Now, he said no man comes to the Father unless he's drawn. So we didn't initiate that on our own. He initiated it. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself, speaking of the cross. So he was lifted up. He was crucified, and he's drawing all men to himself. Now, they can resist that and reject that, or they can receive that. If, and it's, God honors that, but still... He holds us responsible for those choices. So on what basis did he elect us? And that's where the controversy comes in. I'm going to solve it for all time right now. No, I'm not. But I don't like arguing about that stuff um, because it never usually bears any fruit. I think we should be able to discuss it. There could be a massive difference between those two things. Um, But... uh, it's important for us to see from Scripture that really um, he, he gives us enough to be content. And the things that we don't understand, which there are many, we need to fall back on the things that we do understand. And who knows what we will intuitively know once we have our new bodies. We don't know what he will deposit into our new bodies as baseline default knowledge that supersedes anything that we can think of right now. And that we think, oh, I'm going to have all these questions for him. We may have a lot of questions, but we may also not have a lot of questions as much as we realize based on how he configures the physiology of our new bodies. And he, he makes it to where we know a lot more than what we know now. And I'm sure it says in the ages to come we'll be exploring the riches of his grace. So obviously we're going to keep learning. We're going to have questions and all of that, but maybe not the same questions We're in a whole different dimension. We have a new body and all those things. So the question is, did he have his own sovereign reasons for electing us? Or did he go through, um, did he kind of do it through his foreknowledge? Yes. 
That's the answer. Yes. Turn with me real quick. Stay here where you're at and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you need to use the table of contents, no shame in that. We always joke about the Pharisee tabs, but if you have those tabs, you're not a Pharisee. I uh, just want to say that I'm on, in your defense. Um, but um, hey, whatever works. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And I want to begin reading in verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So look at the words, according to his own purpose and grace. And all, everything was given to us. Because he, he says, which was given to us. It's a gift. Salvation's a gift. All those things are a gift to us. They're something that we receive and we're thankful for. We, and they're an expression of his, his, his father's heart towards us and all of that. But clearly, it says here that it, it was according to his own purpose and grace. Okay? So the Bible teaches that. We don't shy away from that. We, we believe that God says that we're elected and he has his own purposes for that and all those things. Not, but there's other things involved as well. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. Still hold your place in John 15. 1 Peter chapter 1. And look at uh, chapter 1, and when I want to begin reading in verse 1. 1 Peter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. So here it says in verse 2, he's a, that we're elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now he doesn't define what that is to, the, to our complete satisfaction. But it's seeing something ahead. Now some people say he looks through the corridor of time, sees what we would decide, and elects us on that basis. The problem is there's no corridor of time for God because <laughs> he's outside of it. So it, it, he sees the beginning from the end all at the same time. And so we can't really put our, our um, concept of perspective within the confines of an infinite being. We really can't. The point is, is that he, we're, we're elected based on foreknowledge. We're also called in all these things according to his sovereign purpose and grace. So there's all kinds of reasons. And there could be a lot of reasons outside of those things that he hasn't even mentioned to us, hasn't even revealed to us. But it's at least those things and, and so for us, we have to be at peace with that. Now, again, I've said this many times. The pride of man demands to understand how he does that. But he never calls us to fully understand how he does it. Not in Scripture. He doesn't, he doesn't get in the mechanics of how he did all that. And the reason is because I believe, I mean, this is true, that we're finite. And I believe that because he's infinite, we cannot fully even come close. An unfair comparison would be an ant trying to look up at us and understand anything about us. And that's an 
infinitely inferior illustration or comparison. So for us, we have to just be at peace. And someone has said he puts free will in one pillar, puts another pillar of sovereignty, his, his elect, you know, how he elects and all of those things. And those things go past a cloud. And above the cloud is a roof that he puts on both of them. And we, from our perspective, we don't understand. They look, seem like they never come together. But beyond the vanishing point of our fine, uh, how, us being finite in our v- vision, he connects those two because he's super logical. He's not, he goes beyond our logic. And so he's able to make sense of things that are directly related to his nature and how he's all powerful and all those things. And we can't wait to be at peace with it. So I'm at peace with it. And God wants us, I believe, to be at peace with how he does it. And he wants us to be comforted for the, in the fact that he's chosen us and we're elected. And, and that is supposed to be a comfort. Like the, the old saying goes, you know, on the outside of the door of heaven, it says, whosoever will, when you get inside and you close the door, you look at the door and it says, I chose you before the foundation of the world you know, as a comfort to us. He never con- talks about, you never see um, um, Paul or anyone in the, in the Acts or in the epistles talk about election, predestination, all those things to unbelievers in the context of that. It's always to comfort believers. And when he talks about unbelievers and all of those things, he's using the word receive, believe, and, and, and it's all based on the fact of their responsibility to receive. Okay, back to John 15. Notice in our verse here in, in, in verse 16 that Jesus also tells us that he appointed the disciples. He says, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. So he has appointed us. And I believe that touches on the specifics of calling related to ministry. Not only has God elected us and chose us, he also has appointed or called us to service. And so you have to think about when you appoint somebody... Usually it's connected to a task or a job or a role. Um, Let's just think of an ambassador. Um, It's a task. It's a role. It's, you know, the the government authorities appoint those people, their ambassadors, um, and you're called to do that. There's, There's a task associated with that title. It's not just a state of being. It's something that you're doing. It's something that you're engaged in. And... You, you have to represent both parties as an ambassador. You're representing both to each side. And God's called us ambassadors. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, we're told that we're ambassadors for Christ. So we represent him and all of that. So God's called us, he's appointed us for service. And so, you know, there's all these kinds of th- different things that God can call us to do and, and to be and all these things. And so um, those, it's important for us to find out what those things are. Uh, and, and it's a process. And we can be hard on ourselves. I should know by now. I should know exactly this and every little part of my calling and all these things. And I, I think that you need to be gracious with yourself <laughs> with that. Uh, God's patient with us. And, and it's a process of learning. And all of a sudden we think that we're called to this one thing. We think it's forever. And sometimes God says, no, that that was for a season. I've called you to do this. You, your gifts are the same, and you, but you may, you may be discovering new gifts as doing the new thing that he's called you to do, but it's still um, something that he has decided. And that's the point of this is that, and what we talk about in Calvary Chapel is um, calling is everything. That's what I entitled the message. It's everything related to who is in what positions to serve. Calling is everything. 
And the, the, God, Pastor Chuck used to always talk about where God guides, God provides. And so there, there are, unfortunately, there's churches, and no one's above falling into this, so it's not, a, it's not a thing I'm looking down at anybody, but there are churches that have their idea of what the church is supposed to be. I'm talking about positions and all these things. We have to have this. We have to have this. We've always had this type of ministry, so we need to have that ministry forever. Let's say it's... Um, Let's say the person that's doing men's ministry also did um, three other ministries. If they step down, God moves them on. So we can go, oh, I have to have someone that fills all those things. And I'm going to take people and I'm going to plug them into those spots. And God comes in and says, no, that's, I've provided four other people to fill all those needs. So we have to look at who God's provided. Sometimes people come to me and they say, hey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this ministry? Have you thought about this? Yeah, would love it. We've been praying for these, these things. But God hasn't provided that, those people or that person yet. So pray. We see holes just like anybody else does. But we pray because we, God wants to shape the ministry by who he's provided and the gifts that rep, are represented in who he's provided and shape the ministry that way instead of us deciding what the ministry should be and forcing people into those slots that... They're not gifted or called to do that just because we have to have that thing at the moment when we don't. Does that make sense? Does that help you? Because that way we don't force something into our idea of what church should be. We're looking at God's provision. If God wants us to have a underwater basket weaving ministry, I don't know why that comes to my mind. You probably regret it as, as I do right now. But... Um, <laughs> then God's going to provide someone with those, I don't know if you have gifts for that, I guess you do, um, but you know, underwater basket weaving gifts that has a desire, it's not just has those gifts, this is important because we pass things over and we wait because people don't have their hearts in the right place, they don't have a servant's heart, or there's something else going in their li- on in their life that is more important than what we can receive from them. We don't just look at people as, oh, what can the church benefit from, from that person? We need to put that the foremost importance of, in our conversations. No, we don't. We love people. We want what's best in their life. And many times, them serving in a certain area that they're gifted in is not what's best for them at that moment. And so we don't feel called to approach them on that. But we do encourage them, hey, let's work on this. Let's work on that. We're discipling them and all of that. We know that we would love to have them serve in that area. But it's not best for them. It has to be what's best for them. Or else it's not of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit's not going to lead them to do something that's not best for them. So it's a protection for them and for us. So we'll wait for years before a ministry. You know how long we've been wanting a harvest party? We've been going for, you know, over nine years now. I've wanted a harvest party every, every year. But that isn't how, what God, how God led. He hasn't provided, he didn't provide a facility for that. He hasn't provided a lot of things for that. So we just keep praying and we wait. Because we don't want it to be something that we're forcing and making happen just because we think we should have it and other churches have it at times. So we just wait. We've been wanting to be on the radio for a long time. For many different reasons. Hasn't happened yet. Just wait. We'll just wait. There's lots of things that we're waiting on and praying on, waiting for God to provide the right people. And I'm not saying we have no room to grow related to communicating our desire for certain things that maybe you may be gifted in or ready to do. We just, but it's a two-way street. You have to let us know, too. I have this on my heart. And if you have it on your heart, then we'll, we'll take it to prayer. I don't just make decisions left and right 
at all. I would try to make it as a group, the leaders and all of those things, the people who are invested in the ministry, and, and let's see how the Lord's leading. I don't want this. It's not my church. We're going to get into that soon in these, in these Calvary distinctives. It's not my church. It's Jesus' church. He gets to decide what happens. I don't want my will. I want you to think of how you would feel if you were in my position, knowing your mistakes, how you can mess up, and you're going to be held accountable and just stand before Jesus and give account for the whole church in, in ways that other people won't. You would probably not be in a hurry to make flippant decisions. That's, now you're in my world a little bit. You understand where I'm coming from. I don't want it to be of me. I want it to be his church because it is his church. And, and, and so I want to be led by the Spirit. That means that we're not going to be able to do the things that we want sometimes. There's a timing to things. And, and, and it may not be what's best for me as a person. And, and, you know, maybe I have a crisis going on, but I want to... There's people that want to do ministry to distract themselves from things they really need to deal with. And that's not best for them for me as much as I would love them to do that thing. It's just not best for them. I won't do it. And what hurts a lot is when people assume bad things about me or us or whatever with decisions because we haven't approached them on something that they've made clear that they want to do when we're just trying to do the best for them. And we also have the whole timing of the whole everything else that's going on because ministries affect other ministries. There's a lot to it. So I just wanted you to hear that and understand that as best as my flawed mind can put it out there. <laughs> so, um, But he says... Jesus also here, he tells us, pointed you that you go and bear fruit. And so that's what we're called to do is bear fruit and to walk in this calling and all of that. And so we have to recognize that the calling for service, he chooses who does that, who does those things. He's the one that equips. He's the one that calls people to do certain things. We don't have the capacity to make that happen. You know, when Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy and he's telling them, these are the people to look for, the men to look for. They're going to be overseers in the church. And also when he wrote to Titus, talking about a bishop, you know, an overseer. He didn't tell Timothy and Titus to make those things happen in those men's lives because God knows that Timothy couldn't do it. All he was called to do is to recognize that these men were the kind of men that God wants every man to be. I hear people say, oh, that's a higher standard for pastors and overseers. It's not a higher pastor, higher standard. All he's doing is telling Timothy and Titus to verify that those men are the kind of men he's called every man to be, except, you know, gift of teaching. That's the one thing that would be the exception. But in terms of character, which is all the other things listed, he wants every man to be those things. He's just saying verify that. You can't make those people into that. You just have to wait. It has to happen between them and me. But when they're there, and that's how I'm leading, then pull the trigger on that. So we can't call ourselves. I want to read, I want to read out of Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. And he's talking, the writer is talking about Jesus being our high priest in the order of Melchizedek. He says, for every high priest taken from men is appointed, there's our word, for men in things pertaining to God that he may both offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Talking about the high priest. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required, as for the people, also, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. 
So any, we're all called to the ministry. We're going to get into this when we get into the purpose of the church and how the church functions and why we let Jesus build his church. We're going to get into all that in coming weeks. But one of the things that it's important for us to understand is that we can't call ourselves to certain things. It, the, that's important for us to understand, that we can't call ourselves. He, he says, no man takes his honor to himself, uh, but he is called by God, just as Aaron was. Paul wrote to Timothy in chapter 1, verse 12, in 1 Timothy 1, 12, he said, and I thank Christ Jesus for uh, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. So all of us are called to the ministry. Ephesians chapter 4 says that he uses the leadership office gifts to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We're all in the ministry. There's a misnomer out there that those in the chairs, they pay the person up here or the leaders to do ministry and then they just receive for themselves and are blessed. That's not biblical. We're all in the ministry. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4 where he talks about every part doing its share. It says every twice in that passage, chapter 4. We're all called to serve in some capacity. He's given each of us at least one spiritual gift. So we have to recognize that all of us are in the ministry. But Paul said, he put it me in the ministry. And, he's, and it's not, it wasn't an option for Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 16 and 17 tells us this, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. So he, he says that, he, woe to me, if he doesn't walk in that calling of being an apostle that God had called him to be, woe is me. Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 7 through 9, Jeremiah tried to get out of it. He tried to get out of his calling. It says, O Lord, you induced me, and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I, and have prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. For when I spoke, I cried out. I shouted violence and plunder, because the word of the Lord has made to me a reproach and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. So we have this responsibility to be an outlet, to be other-centered. He's called us to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, love our neighbor as ourself. All of that is outward. We're focusing on him with worship, focusing on others. And if, we don't, if we're not engaged in that, we're not uh, engaged in, in what, who he wants us to be because he's called each one of us to do something. And I, and I honestly, I do get tired of hearing some pastors talk about the pastorate as a profession and the way that they describe it and all of that it's like a career for them and I just think that it's very easy to fall into becoming a hireling and you don't even realize it where you're doing things for money you're doing things for your you know what you get out of it and that's the whole man-centered message that we what we read in on in books that are in Christian bookstores and churches are very quick to talk make all of this about me but the problem is when you open the Bible, it's not all about me. It's about God, and it's about being a light to other people, to be salt in light. I don't do the things that I do to get a paycheck. I do them because God's called me to do them. 
And if the paycheck goes away, I'll still be doing it as long as God has called me to do it. And that, but it's not unique to me. See, it's the same for you. You're doing what you're doing because you love them and you've been called to do it. It's no different for me. They, the, the, the finances are intended to just free me up to have more time to do what I've been called. But it's not an equal exchange for services. Are you kidding me? No way. It's a supernatural thing that he's called us to. And my calling and my role isn't any less supernatural than what he's called you to do and be a part of. It's easy to make distinctions, but they're, they're, you look at the gifts, the listing of gifts, and he's, he's, mentioned, he's putting office gifts right in there with other gifts. And, and so it, it's, it is distinct in the sense that it's a leadership role, but it, it's no greater value in, in terms of what it means to the body of Christ because Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 12 the whole illustration of a body. And one body part can't say to the other part, you're not important. And, and it says that we all can't be an eye and we all, you know, all these things. And, and so it's important for us to understand that uh, we're all important and we're all um, needed. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11 tells us this, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Talking about the gifts. We can't decide what gifts we get. We can want them, we can desire them, we can ask, but ultimately it's up to God. He distributes the gifts to who, to who he wills. Also in that same chapter in verse 18, it says, But now God has set the members, and that important word here is the word set, but, God, but now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. There's a, there's a sense of, I don't believe personally that gifts are available at any given moment for whatever I need and all of that. It, when you look at the language of that verse, it's talking about our position in the body. And, and yes, he can have us change roles at times, but it's not going to go outside of the confines and boundaries of our spiritual gifts. Uh, and so we have to be content with that. Again, we can be unhappy, <laughs> but I mean, ultimately, he knows what our gifts are. He's given each of us at least one spiritual gift according to his good pleasure. That's why he's done it. He's made all of us a certain way, and he wants us to fulfill that purpose and bless him with our lives. Sometimes the things that we are naturally good at is not what he's going to call us to do in ministry. Sometimes it is, but oftentimes it's not. And I've seen that people assume when they first receive Christ, oh yeah, I'm going to be doing this because I can play music or I can whatever. I'm a good writer or whatever. And it ends up being where it's not what God has them do at all. And some of that is because they wouldn't be as dependent upon him as they would be doing things they're not necessarily comfortable doing or used to doing or whatever. Paul the Apostle, I'm sure, was convinced that God would use him and his main ministry would be to the Jews, but it wasn't. This guy that was the Pharisee of Pharisees from the tribe of Benjamin was exceeding all of his peers in Judaism and as a Pharisee and all of that, likely a part of the Sanhedrin. He, he was main ministry wasn't to the Jews. He went to the Jews first because God wanted him to do that. It was appropriate and fitting. But his main ministry was to the Gentiles. It was Peter that had his main ministry to the Jews. So sometimes it won't be exactly what we think. <laughs> Now, notice he, he's called us to bear fruit, the kind that remains. He says that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Physical fruit is a product of a tree. 
And you're like, okay, great, thanks. I didn't know that. But just stating the obvious, uh, it's an overflow of that tree. And it's something that's produced by the tree. Why? Because the tree was designed to produce that fruit. It was in the DNA of that tree to produce that kind of fruit. In a sense, you could say that the tree was appointed by God to bear that fruit. And so are we. And that's it's how it works with us. We're appointed to bear fruit. It's directly related to our gifts, our calling, all those things to produce spiritual fruit. God is really into spiritual fruit. Really into spiritual fruit. He wants us to be fruitful. And one of the things about fruit is that when you plant a seed, it produces far greater in abundance of fruit than what you would think would happen through one little seed. It's not one-to-one ratio. It's one-to-hundreds and hundreds and you know, with fruit and all of that. And he talks about that many ways when he talks about multiplication, farming, fruit, um, giving, uh, all, all these things, stewardship, uh, gospel, disciples being multiplied. Like the, the multiplication of fruit is clearly seen. So he doesn't want just fruit. He wants multiplied fruit. And I believe that's what he's getting at when he says that your fruit should remain. When you, when you plant something, you plant a tree, you go through the effort of planting it, you don't want just one crop and have it die. You want that, tr- that tree to remain and to bear fruit over and over and over and over. And that's the kind of spiritual fruit he's called us to bear. Because he's called each of us to preach that gospel. There's no gift of evangelism. But they're evangelists. But, there's, but he's called each of us to obey that great commission and, and preach the gospel. Every one of us should be equipped and be doing that. Winning the lost out there. That's what this... Church culture has gotten messed up because we think that here is the primary vehicle for evangelism, and it's not. We should invite people to church. We should. We should expose them to the gospel. Uh, but the, what you see in the book of Acts is them going out and preaching the gospel, winning the lost, bringing them in to be discipled. And we'll get into that in, in, in coming weeks. But he's called us to bear this spiritual fruit. Now look up, up to verse 1 there in your chapter, in chapter 15. He gets into it. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So he's wanting more of a crop, increasing crop. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And the disciples are hearing this. They've already been fighting recently about who's the greatest among them. Jesus comes in and says, apart from me you can do nothing. Zero. You are the vessel. I'm the one that gives the life. You have to be tapped into me. You have to... Abide in me. What's abide mean? It means to make your home in him, to, to commune with him, to walk with him every day, to have that time with him every day, the intimate time that all of us need and what he wants for himself and for us every single day. Jesus bears the fruit. Apart from him, we can do nothing. There's a saying in Calvary Chapel, and I'm not saying it's unique to Calvary Chapel, but I just that's the circles that I heard it in. And it's de- directly related to our philosophy of ministry and why we do what we do and who we look at and all these things. And it's this. God does not call 
the equipped, but he equips the called. God does not call the equipped, he equips the called. Why did Jesus choose those guys? Did he not know that there are people that were more qualified in, in, as far as the world's concerned? Absolutely. But Paul said, not many mighty are called, not many noble are called. He uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And when he calls us to something great, and everything he calls us to is great, we can think, oh, he got the wrong guy. He got the wrong gal. Because we realize our inadequacies, we realize our sin, we realize our shortcomings, how messed up we are. He realizes all of that. He knows who he's getting. All through the Old Testament, you see people going, you got the wrong guy. I'm, I'm, you know, from Moses to, I mean, over and over again, you got the wrong guy. You sure, you know, and hesitant and, um, you know, Gideon. And I, mean, I could go down the list of all these people that just thought you have the wrong person. And, but even though we know that, we read that, it still think somehow we're, we have a different set of rules for ourselves and it's just, God just is making a mistake. I'm sure he's making a mistake. I never, ever dreamed in a million years, never desired, never wanted to be a senior pastor, never wanted to be a pastor. In 91, when God called me to be a pastor and he spoke to my heart and says, you're, you're going to be a pastor, <laughs> you know, I was offended. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that you need to like people. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty sure that you have to want to be around people right now. I'm not like that right now. And I just trusted him. And over the years, 12 years of character development, of grow, going, getting to know him, having his heart being more exposed to my heart, or at least my heart being able to accept or receive a little bit more of his heart for people and all of that and changing me, 12 years down the road, I became assistant pastor. And then five years after that, became a senior pastor. I had to grow in that over a long period of time. I'm not saying God's called you to that. But whatever it is that he lays on your heart to do, he's going to equip you. His grace and his provision, his power, all those things are coupled with calling. It starts with calling. That's why we say in Calvary Chapel, calling is everything. Because you can't take someone that has all all the stuff but yet they're not called to it or they're not, you know, that's something that they want for themselves, but God has not given them those gifts. He hasn't confirmed it to others that are in the plate or in a position to be able to uh, help them walk in that. I mean, if it's of God, everyone's going to see it. It's going to ring true with everybody. There's a timing to things, all those things. So we have to recognize that we have to trust him because everything that he calls us to do, he's going to give us to do what he's called us to do. That's not our problem. Our problem is not giving us everything that we need to do the thing. That's his problem. And he doesn't have problems. <laughs> he, it's his responsibility, I should say. So we're like, okay, well, you're calling me to this. You're going to have to give me this and this and this and this and this. And it'll happen. Because though he's not, you wouldn't put your child, if you have kids, in a situation where you're telling them to do something and not give them what they need to do it. That would be cruel. God does, and has infinitely greater wisdom than we do. And love for, for us than we have our, for our kids. He's not going to do that. He's going to give us what we need. And then you just start seeing yourself getting stretched and growing and more dependent upon him. He comes through he, and he builds your faith and he builds your confidence in him. All that, And you just trust him for greater and greater greater things. I remember seeing my brother-in-law who's a missionary with my sister for 10 years. And the things they'd go through on the mission field, I'm like, I would just be, I couldn't handle that. I would implode. I would be gone. And, and I, would be, I would just marvel at how he would be able to make it, handle it. 
And now, all these years later, there's things that maybe five years ago I would be looking at and having a hard time with, but now I wouldn't necessarily, but I'm facing things now that are a big step of faith in stretching me. And you never get out of being stretched. You never get out of having to be, have faith in all of those things. It's an adventure. If everyone says Christianity is boring, they're not, they're not um, engaged in what God wants for them. And if that's what you think, I don't mean to slam you. Don't take that as a slam that I'm slamming you. But I'm just telling you that you're being led by the Spirit. And you're hearing his voice and you're doing what he calls you to do. It's anything but boring because <laughs> he has you in the middle of all kinds of things. It's important for us to understand that. We want fruit that remains. He wants it. He wants a legacy that we leave behind. And, and it, that can look so different for so many different people. So we have to understand that we have to have a servant's heart as the heart motivation. Servant's heart. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 45, he says, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You're not going to outgrow being a servant. And if you don't want to serve, then you can't be like Jesus in the way he wants you to be like him. Because Jesus is a servant. You have to have a servant's heart. That's what we look for. We look for people with servants' hearts. They're not supremely worried about, you know, doing their thing and only their thing and that's all they do and it's where are the needs there are certain things that don't require spiritual gifts to do <laughs> you know it's just being a servant just making life easier for somebody else then then there's obviously most things have those gifts associated with them but it's just being a servant where are the needs having people just say i just want to serve i'm not nothing's beneath me you know one of the things that when i taught our previous school of ministry one of the things that I made sure that we did is that we cleaned the church. You know, Pastor Chuck would always get the assistant pastors to be, and he would model it. He would go and dig down in these drains and pull out junk with his suit on. He would go down on the ground, pick up stuff. Like, he modeled, it wasn't, and it wasn't that he was trying to have a teachable moment all the time. That's just who he was, so don't misunderstand me. But his desire was just to do whatever was needed, and you're not above that. And, and so the, for, for in our school, we cleaned the church and all of that, and um, I was cleaning right alongside with them and everything, and, and it was to, to show them that you're not above anything, whatever is needed. It doesn't mean that cleaning means that that's the ultimate service tasks that people do. That's not the point. The point is you should be willing to do anything. So for, I remember going, you know what, I'll wash a toilet or clean a toilet, no big deal. What's hard for me is to, when my daughter's teething, to go and take her in the car and drive her around while my wife sleeps so she can get some sleep so she'll fall back asleep. <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's where servanthood hits. But it, I should be willing to do anything. Are there, are there previous churches? I've cleaned the toilets many, many, many times. It's not a big deal. The point is, it's not what you do, it's your heart and what you're willing to do. I learned in school that being a servant is not doing everything. Being a servant is being willing to do anything because we can't do everything. We can't be everywhere at once. We can't serve ultimately from what the needs are. It has to be what God's leading us to do. 
But a lot of times the needs help us understand that we can be a part of what he wants to do in the church. So we can't do everything, but we should be willing to do anything, anything at all. Whatever, whatever you want, I'm willing to do, Lord. Whatever it is. I don't care what it is. I don't have to be in front of people. I don't have to be the person that everybody sees. I can just quietly serve in the, in, in the background, and I'm totally fine with that. But God may bring you up in the, and that's another thing. Some people, they don't want to be up in front, and God requires them to be up in front. You know, I, I think there's plenty of people that can teach the Bible better than me. <laughs> I don't have to be the one teaching the Bible. But that's what God's called me to do. So I'm going to be faithful by his grace until he calls me to not do it if that happens. So great Calvary distinctives here. Calling is everything. It's We'll refer back to it at times. We're going to build on each thing every week. Super excited what the Lord has for us. So let's, let's before we pray, let's just think about where God may, has us. And, and if you don't know, don't condemn yourself. It's totally fine. We're going to pray about these things. We'll join with you in prayer. We, we'll talk to you about it. We'll answer your questions. We'll look in scripture. We'll, you know, it's, it's a thing of we want everyone to know where they're supposed to do what they're supposed to do, and who they're supposed to be. And it may be something outside of this church. That's fine. But you have to be where God's called you to be. Maybe you're called to fellowship here, but you're called to serve somewhere in a parachurch ministry and not serve here as much, but be available in case something, I don't know. I mean, that's the beauty of when you're letting the Holy Spirit do it, you're letting Jesus build his church, it's not going to be how you think it may be. And, and so we have to be flexible. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for you and how you let us be a part of what you're doing. We know we don't deserve it. I pray you'd encourage your people to trust you with how you can so beautifully lead them and guide them. Just pray, Lord, that as we seek you, Lord, you would reveal what your plan is. And thank you that you're patient. Thank you, Lord, that as we go through the process of seeking you, Lord, you're so, so gracious with the whole thing. We need you to be. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.